Welcome to a Backyard Ultra podcast. So in Backyard Ultras, what you eat and drink is a massive thing, especially if you want to go for a long time. So I got an absolute expert in that field. Gabby from Intense at Fit joined me in this episode. She specializes in ultra endurance sports um, and Backyard Ultras. So here you go. Okay, g'day Gabby, how are you going? Hey Dave, going great, thank you. Thanks for having me here. Oh, no worries. Thanks. How are you going? Oh, yeah, I'm great, thanks. It's nice and warm <laughs> in Melbourne at the moment, so I'm loving it. Yeah. Oh, amazing, um, yeah. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. Um, thanks for coming on. Um, I thought I'd um, just start off with just asking, how long have you been a nutritionist for and when did you start getting involved with the Backyard Ultra runners and helping them and helping them out? Sure. So I've been a dietitian for a little bit over 10 years now. I started my practice essentially in uh, end of 2012 when I was graduating from my dietetics degree. And because I've been a triathlete for 15 years or more, <laughs> I straight away went into more endurance focus because that's the environment I was part of and also where I could I do believe that nutrition is important for everybody, but I could see how much impact it can have in endurance, uh, not only in like the lifestyle, but also how you're performing during during the activity. So that's how pretty much for these whole 10 years I've been involved in endurance itself. But when it comes to backyards, that's something that started probably two years ago when I started to get a little bit more involved here with ultra series WA and because that's something that is, those are these are races that are more popular over here, and I started to get clients who, who were focusing those events. That's when the backyard focus sort of started as well. Yeah, and as far as um, nutrition goes, like I imagine it would differ in a backyard ultra a lot compared to a traditional point to point ultra. Mm, yeah, a lot, and like. <laughs> The reason I'm falling in love more and more and more with all, like ultra running in general is how fascinating it is about everything changing from a backyard, from a point to point, from a 24 hour race, like all of them have very different nutrition approaches. It depends on whether it's going to be assisted or not. But in the, in this case, when we're talking about a, a backyard, yeah, like definitely things become very different in the way of like how we approach nutrition not necessarily the overall guidelines in terms of carbohydrate per hour hour and things like that it's more about the how to more than the what i guess that that changes uh drastically for sure yeah because i mean they can go for like two days so um you Mm. need a really good nutrition like plan wouldn't you yeah, definitely. And I feel like, I mean, there, there are several elements that come into play here. One is the, the 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 format itself where the athlete, let's say, has this is uh, a space in the race where they are not running, especially yeah. if they plan their strategy well, where it's like you have a 10, 15 minutes, depending on how fast you go, where you have this space where you can use it for eating. So that it's an area of opportunity. But at the same time, as the, as the race progresses, it means that obviously the athlete is prioritizing uh, a sleep and other things that are involved. So that's when the, the the nutrition needs to be changed. 
uh, all, the other thing is that because usually they are very well assisted, the athlete has the opportunity of every hour uh, come to the crew and get different things. Whereas in a point-to-point race, you rely on whether there's aid stations or if that crew will have access or how much aid you are, you are able to carry with you. So that that changes what we are doing about each of them radically, essentially. And yeah, the next thing that comes to play is that, te- well, now we're seeing that the backyards are lasting longer and longer, right? So that's when things, is it's not as simple as saying like, oh, you just need to eat a sandwich per hour and... One thing is saying like, oh, yeah, I can do a sandwich per hour for four hours. Maybe someone can push it to 10. But like if you're telling someone that they have to do that over three days, that's not going to work at all. Yeah. yeah. Um, in the days leading into a Backyard Ultra, um, or how much, or how many days leading into a Backyard Ultra do you think um, a runner should start preparing for the race nutritionally like what kinds of foods and drinks should the runners consume in the days leading up to the start yeah so strategically let's say for the backyard plan more than days i'll say months in advance preparing for these things but when it comes like all right it's time to start executing the plan let's say Mm. uh at the very least, two through two to three days before the race, that's when we start making very conscious choices about food. We initially is tra- prioritizing carbohydrates because they we, it's following a carbohydrate loading protocol where the athlete uh, comes to the start line with the tank full. That's essentially what we want to achieve. Mm. At the same time, however, we need to ensure that we are maximizing that carbohydrate intake and minimizing the risk of gut upset. So that's when we focus on it being very low in fat. Uh, if there's a chance the athlete has certain food intolerances, that's when probably even more in, uh, in terms of days, potentially that whole week, we're being extremely careful with the athlete, uh, avoiding those foods 100%. And also we reduce fiber intake during that carbohydrate loading because that's also going to help us with minimizing that risk of the gut being upset mm. alongside that is ensuring that the athlete is well hydrated well hydrated because first of all we know that hydration has a key role in performance but at the same time as part of, of this carbohydrate loading the body requires water to store that carbohydrate so if the athlete is not hydrating well there's this disbalance that can either risk not uh loading properly or being dehydrated as a consequence of all the water being stored there instead of actually like using the other roles that the the, the other functions the body has yeah and what about like the night before the like a few hours like the night before the start of the backyard ultra so there's different things that people can do one is like the if we follow let's say the guidelines as they are it will be like similar following a high high carbohydrate intake some people do prefer to reduce their carb their intake overall like slightly especially if they've been doing a good carbohydrate loading so that way they are not feeling uncomfortable because they were eating a lot Uh, but ideally we want to continue boosting that carbohydrate intake and we want to ensure that's when we have to be even more careful about the type of food the athlete is consuming. It becomes very challenging when the athlete is traveling and the options are limited. So that's why it's super important to have 
these consider as part of the planning, like where you're going to stay, where is the shops, where are you going to cook, like all these things are very important also as part of like what we're planning for the athlete to, to have in mind. Yeah. And when you talk about carbohydrates, is that um, mainly pasta, bread, white rice, things like that? Yeah, pretty much. And also sugar. <laughs> so when we're thinking of a carbohydrate loading, uh, the main sources of carbohydrate, yes, are the ones that you're listing, bread, potatoes, rice, pasta. Uh, that's Those are the things that are going to be very high in carbohydrate, low in fiber. But at the same time, that's when we can include sugar because the benefit of including sugar, and when I say sugar, I'm talking about maple syrup, honey, marmalade, fruit juice. These things are high in carbohydrate and at the same time, they are energy dense, which means that the, the volume that we're getting from it is smaller. Mm -hmm. So that's helpful because if we think how much the athlete has to consume and if I set it in, let's say, uh, cups of rice, Roughly, let's say if we're doing a carbohydrate loading where the athlete, 80 kilo athlete who needs to eat 10 grams of carbohydrate per kilo of body weight, we're talking about 800 grams of carbohydrate. If I were to put that in cups of rice, we're talking about like 20 cups of rice during the day. So yeah. that's a lot of food. Yeah. <laughs> that's just me talking about rice. Yeah. Uh, however, if I add a, uh, for example, a glass of juice or I put... Uh, let's say we make that rice like cream rice so that has like some sugar in it that starts re reducing the volume and that's something a little bit more manageable for the person yeah okay and when a backyard ultra actually starts and the runners at the at the starting line in the starting corral how should they aim to be feeling should they be feeling absolutely full that depends a lot on the on the runner. I, I find that most people prefer feeling neutral, let's say, not right. necessarily full, but not necessarily hungry. Yeah. Um, I I know specifically a runner who loves feeling full, and that's like that's how he finds he performs better. But that's a specific, a particular case. I feel like for most people is that that sensation of like feeling satisfied let's say like not when you just finished a meal but when you are in between meals and you're comfortable that will be what we will be aiming for and mentally i guess confident knowing that you you did prepare for this thing knowing that you, you follow a plan that is going to be successful as well yeah sure so one of the things i don't really know about a, a lot about but i hear a lot about is electrolytes and mm -hmm. so what are electrolytes and why are they so important? So electrolytes are essentially like minerals that are in our sweat when and also support with fluid balance in our body. They support different functions, like, for example, like muscle, muscle contraction or fluid absorption. Like they have so many roles in our system. And the reason they become important is because when we sweat, the, the sweat, that fluid is carrying some of those electrolytes with it. So replenishing them, especially if we're thinking of a very long distance event where they are obviously sweat, sweating for a long time and that replenishment doesn't come, that's when the body comes in, in this imbalance where it can be risky for health and for the athlete to keep performing at the level that they are expecting. Um, so 
they usually were talking about potassium, magnesium, calcium, and sodium most of the time when we think of these electrolytes. The one that becomes the most important is sodium. And the reason for that is because if, if we were to analyze that sweat, that's the mineral that is lost the most. So it's like a higher proportion, let's say. And technically, with like the others, it's not as necessary to replenish them because we have sufficient stores of them. And if the athlete is eating and having different um, food options as part of like their nutrition strategy, that's something that is easy to replenish as part of it anyway. Right. Okay. So a runner who is at, in the starting corral at a, in a backyard ultra, their electrolyte sh should be spot on at that point in time if they're following a good nutrition plan. Would that be right? Yeah. I would say like because our body is good, very good at balancing itself, I would say that your electrolyte balance and mine right now are spot on, I would say, yeah. because I, I, I'm assuming that you haven't been running for 24 hours in the last 24 yeah. hours. So like, so we were usually the body is very good at balancing that out. Uh, so getting to that balanced state at the start is easy. That's something that as long as the athlete is not following a very restrictive or crazy diet, or has a particular health condition that that's a, a whole different story. Yeah. Uh, the, that the, that electrolyte balance has to be there. Mm. The, the the issue is while they are doing the activity because as as they are doing it, well, as much as we try to get the food intake, it's not as much as if you are not doing the activity and the body is merely focused on keeping you at balance, not as stressable like keeping you running and balancing your core body temperature and like absorbing nutrition all these things start adding a stress to the body and keeping that balance becomes harder so that's where the the complexity begins and that's when we need to be more specific about it yeah okay so is there a general rule on how to maintain a healthy electrolyte balance during a backyard ultra yeah so the guidelines suggest consuming between 300 to 600 milligrams of sodium per hour and as i said if you are follow if you are eating food like it doesn't have to be specifically any food like it's likely you're getting the other minerals anyway so mm. sodium is the one that is is important to keep an eye on normally an athlete can achieve this by uh, having a, a sports drink with even the food some like noodles or other food preparations are usually high in sodium so often the athlete can meet this sodium intake easily mm. uh, but I do prefer measuring it. So because the the way I work with my athletes, we put a plan in place where we have a very good idea of what the athlete is going to be consuming. It's easier to estimate how much sodium per hour they are likely to be getting from that food and hydration. Yeah, I see. So as far as electrolytes go, can someone go overboard and have too many electrolytes? What's more dangerous, yes. too many or not enough? Probably not enough. Like getting to too much, it has to be like quite drastic intake, especially that's when we get uh, salt tablets very regularly, plus adding lots of sodium. Like it can happen. But yeah. the, the not too much, like the too little, it's something that is as a consequence of First, the athlete is losing it through sweat. Next, the athlete is hydrating, but without any electrolytes. So it's not replenishing it. And that's when the concentration of sodium in the, in the bloodstream, like decreases 
and that it's quite dangerous for the system so there's a higher risk of like let's say underdoing it however the it's not a matter of like to balance that out or to prevent that it's not only the need of sodium that we need to work on is also balancing that fluid intake that makes sure that the athlete is actually drinking enough, not too little, not too much. Yeah. Okay. So can drinking water then just on its own cause an imbalance? And does that mean that I should avoid drinking too much just water on its own during a backyard ultra? Yeah, so for example, drinking water is obviously recommended, but drinking water in excess, yeah, can definitely cause cause that as a, like can become a problem. In, yeah. There are some cases where even drinking a sports drink in excess can cause that because you are still getting so much fluid and the sports drink is not necessarily very high in sodium, at least not many of them. So yeah. even drinking that sports drink, if it's doing excess, especially with the fluid consumption, that can be a problem as well. And that's when following strategies where first I do recommend getting a sweat test where the athlete has a rough idea of how much they sweat per hour. So that is telling you, okay, looks like per hour you're sweating one liter. So in these conditions, usually like we need to consider whether it was hot or windy or all the things that were going on that day. But at least that gives you a rough idea. Okay, I'm losing one liter per hour. And from there is like if... it's measuring how well, assessing how thirsty you're feeling along the, the race and drinking to thirst, keeping that number in mind, aiming not to exceed it, will be a better plan than just saying, like, oh, I'm just going to keep drinking water because I know that dehydration can be bad for me. Yeah. And, and without like necessarily being thirsty or or ha- being aware of how much you're actually consuming. Yeah. Okay. So what are some signals that a runner or their crew should watch for to alert them of an electrolyte imbalance that's a very interesting one because a problem of this is that sometimes the symptoms are very similar of dehydration so there's this disorientation nausea uh it it even feels like thirst as well so like that's the problem that the starts sort of like mixing the the responses of the body and it's hard to assess whether it was an overhydration or underhydration. Mm-hmm. So that's why it's better to avoid getting to that stage. Uh, if there's someone in the crew who has been measuring how much fluid the athlete has been consuming and the athlete is reporting the symptoms, it may be easier to realize that, okay, looks like actually this person has been, especially because they can see the athlete, whether they are actually losing as much sweat like if you see that the athlete is barely sweating and is drinking two liters per hour is it's like and experiencing this thing exactly that's getting to that point so it's like that's when you need to go back and potentially at that stage that's when the medical team needs to get involved as well like that's why it's so important to to not get there because it's not as easily corrected that's that's the issue there as Easily corrected with the, the the things that you have within your reach, let's say. Like if the if the medical team is there, definitely there's something that they can assist with, but we don't want to get to that stage. Yeah. Um, if it's a really if the conditions are cold, but a runner is sweating a lot, does that could that have something to do with nutrition or an electrolyte imbalance, or it's it, it's possibly something else? Oh. It's without being, I can be just like, I guess in general terms, because it, could, it will have to be seen in a case by case 
phases yeah. but in general it could be that one the athlete's sweat rate is that high usually even if it's cold if you are going at high intensity the the body is producing heat so it is it's possible that you are sweating a lot and mm. especially if let's say it's cold so you have a lot of clothes and layers that are protecting that heat dissipation and like that evaporation so it could be that yeah the athlete is actually requiring so much fluid then yeah. however if we say and that's why it's important to analyze it in case by case if we know that the athlete is a heavy sweater then potentially something that is like okay this makes sense but if we know that the athlete usually don't sweat as much and we see that the clothing is not necessarily an issue like that one is like okay this this could be a red flag for something else and in that case i can't tell you what else but it's something that we need to escalate somewhere else yeah. so very important to yeah to be aware of that and that's why to know the athlete well to understand regularly how much they're sweating even the fluid rate like that's something that you can measure as well in terms as easily as okay i'm going to go for my my run i'm going to carry this water bottle and at the end of the run i'm going to see how much i ended up drinking just by following my thirst and that can give you an idea of like looks like i feel comfortable drinking at this rate and with that my body weight stay uh i didn't lose as much weight so that's like the different things that we can do and help us understand both the external part which is a, how the athlete manages that hydration and the internal in terms of like that sweat rate uh, and and how the body itself is 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 balancing the the body temperature yeah so once a runner's electrolytes are out of balance is it game over or can the balance be restored quite easily Oh, I wouldn't say game over, but it depends how drastic it has been. Definitely, this is this is a it's, it's called uh, exercise associated hyponatremia. What we're talking about when we get to that point, and it is a very serious condition. It's definitely quite dangerous. It can be minor, and that's something that we could correct, especially if the if the if the athlete gets uh, electrolytes quickly, particularly sodium. Sometimes it has to be intravenous administrated to ensure that like it goes quickly in. Mm. Uh, maybe that's what i would classify as easily corrected in this case right. so it it all was unless that and then from there is this, uh, the judgment of deciding whether it's a good idea was that let's say fix uh under quotations uh yeah. whether it's a good idea to keep going i feel like in most more most circumstances it's unlikely that the athlete will be advised to just keep pushing uh, yeah. now if it's very minor let's say for example in a backyard where it's been two to three laps where the athlete has not been consuming fluid at the ideal rate that's something that we can notice like especially i know that it's a lot to ask for the, the crew because it gets to the point where the crew is is the the one that can make the judgment for the athlete especially after so many hours but at least keeping track of that could be something like hey it looks like we are we need to balance this out because if you keep going at this pay at this rate uh, it's going to be an issue, especially like if we're aware of how much the athlete usually needs. So that's when it could be, let's say, easily corrected, but it's based on that observation. Yeah. I was speaking to a runner after he finished a backyard ultra. He went for 30-odd hours. And the thing that caused him to pull out was um, he said he had an electrolyte imbalance and he had to uh, urinate like seven times like, in one hour. Mm. Um, would that, yeah, so, yeah yep. so that's a signal that something is not quite right then obviously 
Uh, yeah, like usually, like, and that's something that is, uh, I want to say controversial, but it, it requires a little bit more understanding beyond my scope of, uh, of practice. But sure. from an electrolyte balance, uh, that sodium and the electrolyte support with fluid retention. So if the athlete is urinating a lot, it may mean that there is not sufficient electrolytes to retain that fluid. So uh, I don't know if we're taking, thinking about the same person, but I remember chatting with someone who described something similar and they mentioned that it happened when they swapped from the electrolytes to water. So as soon as they started to drink uh, plain water, that's when they this sort of like reaction occurred. Yeah. So uh, my, my advice then was like, all right, let potentially swapping back to the electrolytes and even considering the inclusion of salt tablets just to balance back from that and see whether it gets corrected. It's something advisable along with, yeah, using that fluid intake, but trying to balance that uh, again. Yeah. So I was going to ask about salt tablets. I don't know that much about them. So these tablets, you obviously think they're a good idea when they're needed, but you but you're obviously using salt tablets that are made for that application. You're not just buying some salt from the sh from coals and using that, are you? Or can you use that? In, in some cases, you can, because essentially that's what we need. It's like yeah. the salt tablets are sodium, right? Like that's yeah. what the, 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 it's called salt, but it's essentially sodium. If we buy salt from coals or whatever, that's uh, sodium chloride, like, or S sorry like i don't know it in english but like essentially it's a combination with chlorium and uh, sodium what we are getting right so it's stable salt uh there's not an issue if that like chloria chlorine is also included as part of that intake but the reason why we tend to go for the salt tablet is because it's easier to dosify uh a for example a quarter of a teaspoon of salt is equivalent to a salt tablet, I believe. I I don't have the the like the number in exactly, but it's harder to measure the quarter of a teaspoon compared to here you go. This here's this here's this capsule that we know exactly how much it has. It's also more practical in some cases where if the athlete is running, especially I guess in, in situations where we have uh, a point end to end race where the athlete is carrying things with them, it's easier to carry the salt tablet than to have like some salt with them uh, yeah. even though there are these small salt sachets that sometimes people use for that now whether everybody should be consuming them or, or not i believe it has to be reviewed in terms of the individual uh, in terms of first measuring how much they are consuming through food because it could be that the person is actually meeting their sodium intake easily from the electrolytes they are drinking and the food they are consuming. So the addition of the salt tablet is unnecessary. It also could be the part of the individual sodium exertion, like how much or like excretion, sorry. So if the individual is someone who is a very salty sweater, and then we also check their diet and we know that it's very low in sodium, that's when the, the salt tablets become helpful. And then it's also the part of how long this individual has been going for. Because even if they are consuming sodium uh, and they are not very heavy, heavy, salty sweaters, but they've been going for a long time, it could be that towards the later stages of the race, including the sodium, is helpful because it's likely that the athlete is getting to this deficit where they are losing a lot in accumulation, essentially. So meeting 
we are, it's not advisable to meet as much as we lose in our sweat. So uh, it, it will come to the point where the athlete is actually in serious deficit, let's say. So that's when it could be a good idea to consider them. Whether we do it through the salt tablets, whether we do it as, there have been cases where I've said like, you know what, let's just add salt to the food and that's it. That's how we achieve this increased sodium intake. So it depends on the circumstances and, and what's going on around the athlete as well. Yeah, I see. Now, um, a lot of runners eat lollies during backyard ultras like snakes and things like that. Is is that sustainable over like a long backyard ultra, like 48 hours mm -hmm. plus? Or is it recommended? So lollies are an easy way of getting carbohydrates in. Uh, yeah. Because same, essentially what we are aiming usually when we have this carbohydrate intake during a race, we want food that is very high in carbohydrate, but at the same time, small in size. So we would prefer having that lolly compared to having a whole banana, let's say, mm -hmm. even though the banana is very high in carbohydrate as well and it's good. So in the sense of like whether including lollies is a good idea, I believe it is. In the question of saying, is it a good idea to merely rely on lollies as the nutrition strategy? My answer will be no. And the main reason for that is that the, the the athlete will get sick of them eventually, very easily. And also depends on the lolly. If it's something that is very chewable, as the race progresses, it becomes harder and harder to chew. So even like stay, staying up to the same consumption rate is harder. And because they are so sweet, it's hard to tolerate them for so long. So yeah. that's why I believe it's a good idea to include them, but definitely not to have them as like the main thing sustaining the energy for them yeah definitely it sounds good um so i spoke to aaron young on the last podcast you may know aaron he, and he mm. mentioned that um he um he was talking about eating marshmallows to help ease gut issues have you heard of is, is that a thing like is that true that marshmallows help with gut issues I honestly don't believe there's a scientific explanation for it. Right. I do uh, have heard of anecdotes of people saying that marshmallows were helpful, but yeah. I can't say, oh, yeah, that's the way to go. But <laughs> my advice with this is definitely trusting your instinct. If marshmallows are helping, definitely go for it. Yeah. Uh, for some people, it could be eating salty crackers or eating pretzels, or there are different things that people get to a point where like they can recover from the gut upset yeah. so yeah i feel like if uh, once you're at that stage it's worth considering if you know that like well i've never been in this situation but i know that uh this person suggested marshmallows especially because it makes sense it's still carbohydrates like it's not like oh they suggested i don't know drinking coke upside down and see how <laughs> like that's when it's like what are you talking about but yeah. it's like okay marshmallow is carbohydrate it let's let's give it a go or it's not something that can put the health at risk essentially like so that's when i say being careful about that bias out there but in this case it's something that i would say is harmless and worth considering but in, interesting to for, for future research if, if it's something that uh that's something a common practice that actually helps yeah um so are there any other foods that have that kind of um reputation like marshmallows that can help with gut issues or any that have a scientific backing as well? Uh, scientific backing, let's say, mostly is like potentially swapping to 
uh, salt, let's say, or something savory that could help. Uh, but essentially assisting with gut issues, the, the things that have the most scientific backing is like in terms of preventing them. So reducing fiber, reducing fat, potentially uh, working, like reducing a specific carbohydrate types that in some people are hard to uh, absorb. Those are options that can prevent the gut issue or at, at least, yeah, assist in like minimizing the risk of experiencing it. Once the athlete is at the gut issue stage, that's when the science becomes a little bit murky because there is very hard to study. It's, it's similar to cramps. Like mm-hmm. it's something that we need to wait for the person to get there to study it. And once the person is in that situation, it's very hard to be like, all right, let's stop the race so we can analyze this. It's, it's very hard to actually, so all we can rely on is of people telling us, well, actually like I, I had the marshmallows and it helped or I drank Coke. I think Coke is one that is also similar, ginger beer, similar that people report uh, by consuming this, their gut issues are relieved. And it also depends on how the gut issue is presenting. Is it nausea? Is it diarrhea? Is it like it changes depending on also the symptoms the person is is having? Yeah, yeah, very good. Um, What are some backyard ultra nutrition staples that you think every runner should have with them? Oh, all right. I wouldn't say there are staples per se. My advice often is to go with the things the the athlete is familiar with. So Mm. if, let's say, uh, recently I mentioned sandwiches, but if the athlete for some reason never eats them, I feel like going straight for the sandwich during the backyard, it may not be the best thing, especially if they they have not considered it even as part of training. But as we know that sandwiches usually are quite common in most people's diet or something that at least we have had before. Mm-hmm. So uh, first being something familiar, I do recommend, but it, it depends too much on the individual because I I have athletes who heavily rely on food and I have athletes who have a mix of more energy gels and sports drinks and older, let's say, sports foods that are not necessarily things that you will have in your pantry regularly. So it it depends too much on that. But my advice would be like, it is helpful to consider a sports drink as part of that nutrition because it's something that is giving us the fluid and at the same time electrolytes and at the same time carbohydrate. So considering a sports nutrition, uh, sorry, a sports drink, it's going to be something that will assist with that energy and carbohydrate intake. From there, matching with, potentially uh, energy gels, food such as sandwiches, such as rice, such as uh, biscuits or energy bars, that's also helpful. The thing is that in a backyard, because a lot of, well, not a lot, but like some athletes can go for such a long time. Even these things I'm mentioning, like it can be that they get to the point where they they no longer want it because it's like they have the flavor fatigue or if they went for a lot of uh, solids, it could be becoming a, become a struggle to process it, even from the fact of like chewing this food. As yeah. you're getting tired, it's harder to chew it. So if you're not chewing it well, and then you send it to the god to process it, like it's sort of like half processed, and then like you are expecting the god to process this, even though at the same time you're expecting your body to keep functioning properly, it becomes harder and harder. So it's it's that's when the nuances of this 
uh, it's, it's important to consider whether uh, how the strategy started and how it's progressing along the race as well. So mm. my advice for someone to like to start thinking of like their staples is if they have experience in these races, adding a, starting a list of things like this felt good, this worked well. I actually didn't enjoy that. So, like classifying the things that they have tried before and he, considering options such as potatoes, rice, uh, sometimes uh, the energy gel is helpful. In these cases, I wouldn't advise the energy gel to be consumed as frequently for the same reason it could be get to the point where it gets super boring and, and like it's not something enjoyable anymore. So starting to build a list with the things that they can eat regularly and from there putting a strategy in place based on, on what they have um, consider and what they are willing to try ideally in training or uh, in a race where they are not too concerned about how they go it's more about like experimenting let's say yeah do, do you think there is any um place for um fiber and fatty foods in a backyard ultra like an avocado or hard-boiled eggs or things like that or they're just not but they they can they're a good idea Yes. So the thing is that we, because we're going for so long, it starts becoming a need for also an energy deficit, not necessarily only carbohydrates. So including fatty foods, it's helpful for certain meals, not necessarily something I'll be suggesting every single lap. Mm -hmm. uh, in terms of fiber, definitely that still will be a no, because oh. that if, because it's hard to process and absorb if the athlete has because the athlete keeps running and trying to do many more things and at the same time we're giving high fiber intake that's something that is going to be a struggle and very likely cause gut issues yeah. fat it's also something that takes longer to absorb but if we include it in a smaller quantities it's also helpful because it's adding energy to that meal so mm. we know fat is very high in energy so if i have for example a teaspoon of oil i'm adding four 40 calories easily compared no actually like 80 essentially just from that teaspoon so it's very easy to get a lot just from a small amount yeah and uh compared to the carbohydrate which is the the main energy source for the body or at least for these activities where we're going at a regular pace the body needs the carbohydrate but adding that fat and the protein for example you mentioned the eggs that's something that is also helpful. So if we are aiming, usually, well, what the guidelines suggest is five to 10 grams of protein per hour for these ultra endurance events, where especially if we're talking about going beyond 12 hours, I definitely will be considering ways of incorporating protein. Five to 10 grams is not too hard. We can do it from foods uh, such as even, for example, noodles, they have protein to that degree. Or if we have um, like a, for example, a slice of ham in that sandwich, that's be enough, or a hard-boiled boiled egg, that's enough as well to, mm. to consider as part of the strategy. Mm. Um, you mentioned a, a teaspoon of oil. Is there a particular type of oil, like olive oil or coconut oil, that you would say is the best? Not really. Um, and I wouldn't actually wouldn't advise the athlete to literally have a teaspoon of oil because we're also <laughs> dealing with, with the, the part of the food enjoyment as part of it like i know that the athlete is not registering in the race to to eat yeah. but that's part of it and if we 
if we are looking for foods that are enjoyable as part of it, asking the athlete to just simply have a teaspoon of oil is not going to be helpful. However, if we say like, hey, here is this this fried rice that I cook with oil, that's adding like it's adding carbohydrates and the, the calories. So that's a nicer way, way of getting it. Or it's here, this avocado sandwich. So in terms of a specific type of oil, not really, especially because we're not going in excessive amounts, whatever that let finds comfortable should be all right. Yeah. Okay, cool. So after you mentioned earlier, as the more you run, the harder it is to chew, the harder it is to salivate. Um so like with me, like obviously my mouth goes dry after a few hours of running and it's really hard to eat. Is mm. this something that can be avoided or it's just going to happen no matter what? Hydration will be very helpful as part of it. So it, if that's something that you are noticing, something like even, uh, let's say, drinking water before you eat could be helpful. So even like rinsing your mouth and then passing the water and then now that's when you get the biscuit. It's something that could be helpful to yeah. to uh, to prevent this. Definitely, there's I guess there's no strategy to make the athletes salivate more or anything like that, except for like making sure the athlete is well hydrated so that doesn't happen. Um, yeah. Breathing, like this is me not knowing a lot about it, but I believe that breathing techniques also can make a difference, especially with athletes breathing a lot through their mouth. It could be that change potentially changing that can help. But my advice would be like going for the hydration instead, especially when dealing with someone who is already very experienced. Changing your breathing strategy is going to take a long time. Yeah. Um, so if someone doesn't feel hungry deep into a backyard ultra and they also haven't eaten for a while, like a few hours, should they try and eat anyway? Yes. <laughs> so um, hunger is something that I believe is, is very reliable in sedentary conditions. So right now, if you are saying, I'm not hungry, I will be like, okay, don't eat because you are sitting or standing or like you've been doing your normal activity. Same if I'm hungry right now, it will be like definitely a good idea to, to eat. However, when we are exercising, our appetite gets suppressed and it's something that it means that we could be needing that energy and it's very likely we need it because we are exercising but the body is not telling us at least not with hunger so relying or waiting to be hungry to eat is a strategy that i definitely wouldn't recommend because it's it's if we're getting to that point it means that probably we already lost a lot of energy along the way and replenishing that is going to be hard yeah so it's better to stay trying to eat in a regular pattern. If it comes to the point where the athlete is struggling to tolerate the food, that's a different story. That's when it's like we either change the quantity, change the type of food, change the frequency at which they are eating it. All these things are things that we can change and can help for that. But definitely waiting till you are hungry, it's not great. I don't know if this is something that you have experienced, but for example, if you go for a long walk in the morning, you may feel hungry eventually. But if I tell you to spend the same time running, it's likely you won't feel as hungry, even though it's you are using way more energy in your body. But that's because the exercise is is, is suppressing that that hunger. Yeah, yeah. I find it is I find it harder to eat after a run, that's for sure. Like I can't eat as much as I normally would if, it, mm. if it's after a run, yeah. Um, so because Backyard Ultra is also such long races, it brings into the issue of 
sleep management as well and trying to stay awake. So um, there are a lot of different strategies people use, but coffee is probably one that comes up a lot. So have you got an opinion or any strategies how a runner should use coffee during a backyard ultra? It will be matched. We match it to how the athlete is planning to do their sleep. And yeah. it depends on so how long the athlete is going for. So my advice is, for example, there are that first of all, caffeine is helpful. Ca the caffeine is going to support with that alertness and it also support with performance itself in, in the way that it actually enhances performance to a certain degree. Obviously, we get more benefit from the food and from training, but caffeine is that additional aid that I wouldn't disregard. So the way I would recommend it is, let's say if the athlete is someone who it's a is aiming to definitely sleep and is well aware that having caffeine disrupts that sleep and it makes it very hard to get to have that 15 minute snooze, that's where we reduce the caffeine intake overnight and increase it during the day. Now, my suggestion and the way I normally do it with my athletes is having caffeine intake in intervals. So essentially every three to four hours, that's when we introduce the caffeine that can come in the form of coffee, that can come in the form of Coke, uh, can be in an energy gel, can be using a no-dose as well. So there are different ways of getting that caffeine. Now, if the athlete is someone who is actually okay getting to sleep with or without the caffeine, then we leave it. So we continue with it as part of the 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 strategy. Now, for example, if I have an athlete whose goal is to go for 24 hours and they don't care, like it's just like I seriously just want to get to 24 hours. That's all my goal. Then in that case I will be pushing towards the caffeine because a sleep is not as critical in that scenario. If I have an athlete as like we know several who are going for 50 or more, well, not several, just a few, but 50 or more hours, that's a different story. Cause that's, it's like, we know that those minutes of the sleep and as much as they can get are going to be critical, especially in the later stages of the race. So that's when manipulating caffeine intake can be helpful. And depending on at which stage the athlete is at now, for anyone listening, if you are someone who, regardless of your sleep or regardless of anything, you react badly to caffeine, you get anxiety, palpitations, uh, at, or things that your body doesn't react well, please don't don't try it. Like I still, I wouldn't encourage caffeine consumption in that scenario. There are definitely more things that we can get advantage of, such as uh, trying to sleep, such as getting the food, other things that we can help with than adding this element that more than helping is going to be detrimental. Yeah. Like when I ran a backyard ultra last in September, I actually had some caffeine gels. And I did find after I had those for an hour or two, the pains in my legs went away a little bit. I'm not sure if mm. it was the caffeine helping or if it was just my imagination, but it really did seem to make mm. a difference with the pain in my legs. Mm. Yeah, because the thing is that, for example, caffeine also, the way that it helps with performance is that assist with that uh, perceived exertion, essentially. I'm not too sure about the pain itself, 
but let's say the activity feels slightly easier thanks to caffeine. So it's it's helpful to have it. Now, I wouldn't be suggesting to have it as, let's say, okay, it's daytime and I need to continue. So I'll just have caffeine all along the way or like every gel I'm eating is going to be with caffeine. It's, yeah. easy, it's better to say, okay, I have an energy gel right now. And then three hours later, I'll have another one just to allow to that caffeine lifetime to, to occur. And the other thing I also will say about caffeine, waiting till you feel you need it is too late. If you're like, oh, I'm feeling sleepy, give me the caffeine. Caffeine takes at least, well, usually it takes an hour to peak. So if you're already at that stage where it's like, oh, I feel like the caffeine will be helpful right now, it's unlikely to help as much as if an hour with a strategy you have considered that. So before you get to that stage, that, that's more helpful. Right. So I don't actually know much about no-dose tablets, but are they stronger than an average cup of coffee or is it about the equivalent to a cup of coffee? It depends how you prepare that prepare that coffee. My tendency in including caffeine tends like I tend to recommend it either as nodos or the energy gel or other ways that we have exact amount of how much caffeine the athlete is consuming because that we know that the the nodos says a hundred milligrams and that's what the athlete is getting hundred milligrams of caffeine or the energy gels is says twenty five fifty a hundred and we know that's how much they are getting so at least. Maybe because I'm so structured with the numbers and making sure that they're getting enough. That's why I like to see the number there. But in terms of uh, how much caffeine the coffee has, that's why for the number is a little bit hard because whether it's an espresso or whether it's filter or whether it's instant, that changes the amount of caffeine. Uh, normally, it's less than the 100 milligrams than the noodles would have. Mm. Now, with caffeine, the thing is that more is not better. What we what has been shown is that is 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 actually having it that is the effect more than actually how much you have, and it can be a problem if the athlete has too much at the time. So if we are getting usually well, the recommendation is staying between three to six milligrams per kilogram of body weight per kilogram of body weight. So that in Spanish per kilogram of body weight, uh, that's the recommended amount of caffeine we would like. However, there's some uh, evidence showing that if the athlete goes all the way to nine, that is actually, instead of helping the performance, is making it worse. So mm. just because it works doesn't mean that if we do more of it, it's going to be better. So sticking to, to those three to six will be good. Now, if you're not too concerned about measuring how much caffeine you're getting and you know well that the coffee has caffeine and it's unlikely it's like super strong, it's safe to assume that you are within the, the, the range that that is health that, that is helpful and safe as yeah. long as you have that coffee and then let you wait till you have the next one it's not like you're having that one and then every lap you keep going with espresso shots let's say yeah okay. um so yesterday i put a post on instagram just asking anyone if they've got questions and i did get a few responses so um the first question is, what are some food ideas for runners without a crew so they can't get any food cooked for them? Ah, like, okay, so the runner the runner doesn't have a crew, but yeah. they want cooked food. Was that the question? Oh, like how they can get cooked I food? I think they mean yeah. so so, they're not going to be able to cook food. Or not cooked. So, yeah. So what are some ideas for runners ah, without a crew? Yeah, so... 
Uh, I know, I, I swear sandwiches are not like necessarily my favorite, but they are so practical. So sandwiches and probably they are very obvious, but they are a good one. You can yeah. leave them pre-made, uh, suggestions. So they are a little bit more enjoyable, uh, putting in a way that you don't squash them, especially if we're talking ab about a backyard where it's easier to have them in an esky or something like that. If you're running with the sandwiches, it's going to get squashed somehow. Yeah. Uh, so that's one. The other one is, uh, rice is something that can stay refrigerated for a while, like an, a stay safe let's say as long as it's within uh, like it's cool let's so that doesn't nothing happens to it so rice is a good one that you can make a huge batch of and potentially let's say you don't have a crew you have a short amount of time to like you don't even have the time to come and prepare the rice in a bowl then my suggestion would be to have the small containers where you already have it ready and then you just come and grab that small container and have it so that's an easy way of of consuming it and having something that is not only sandwiches then uh oh and the benefit of that is that even you can have different let's say dressings for the rice so you can have it with soy, soy sauce you can have like a fried rice you can have a different way so at least the flavor changes even though you're still having rice yeah. the other ones are so are also potatoes potatoes once again if you have them cooked you can all make them even like scramble with egg if you want to same strategy have it already in the container and this is me assuming that you are someone who is comfortable eating it cold. Because if you were hoping to heat it up and things like that, that's different. Uh, if you have access to a microphone, mic microphone, microwave, that, that helps. So those potatoes, rice, uh, those two, I would say it's, they still, they can last a while if you have them in, in, in the, in the fridge or even in an esky with sufficient ice. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, then we can move to things that are not necessarily pre-cooked. It are things that you just buy off the shelf. And those are when we have pretzels, when we have uh, even like if you want to buy uh, even crisps are, are also like I'm thinking of savory because usually these are the ones that is hard there to to think of or find. Uh, though, and otherwise, when we think of more like uh Sweet stuff, energy bars, such as like Cliff Bar. There are other brands that are coming up with their energy bars that are also really good. Uh, having biscuits, like for example, those uh, graham crackers or something like that can help. But the thing is that those are a bit dry. Mm -hmm. So that's when, I mean, this is me thinking like if you have enough time, like you get your coffee and maybe you are getting your biscuit soaked in it and like it's easier to eat it as well. Yeah. Uh, so those are things that I would say, especially could be helpful and also i know we talk about the lollies having the lollies available it's something that is easy to grab and yeah like there's a whole like there's a huge list i don't know if you have it like actually if you have it uh if you thought of anything while i was sharing my, that list there oh i know that that all sounds really good actually um yeah in my i i like crackers you know the crackers with like the cream in the middle of them Oh yeah, they yeah. Work <laughs> yeah. Oh, excellent. Yeah. Mm -hmm. so, so, yeah, like whatever. Yeah. I was going to say, yeah. The last time I did a um, a long run was a twelve hour timed ultra, and I I experimented with that one without really eating much food. I was just drinking the tailwind a lot, like the endurance. Mm. See how I went with that. But I found even with that, the flavor got um, boring, and I still. Mm. It was still hard to drink towards the end so mm. 
yeah, that was that was interesting. One of the other questions that the, someone wrote was actually about um, the different nutrition, sports nutrition brands and stuff. Like they wanted to know if, if there's a difference between them and if you recommend those those types of things. Yeah, so there's it's they are getting different. In the past, it was almost like the same whether you choose uh I don't know, Gatorade versus Powerade, for example. But now we're getting so many brands that the difference is in the nutrition, no nutrition, sorry, the ingredients they are using. And yeah. in that sense, it could be, for example, when I look a lot on the ingredients, when I'm working with an athlete who has particular intolerances, so we need to be extremely careful about what they are consuming. Or when I'm working with an athlete who is aiming to consume or who needs to consume a high amount of carbohydrate and, and it's going to get it through that sports drink heavily. So that's when we need to make sure that that has a the carbohydrate in the ratio that will allow for that gut absorption. If not, if you are not hitting that target, the ingredient list is not as relevant. The other things that I would look at is the amount of energy pair serving serve that it, that this drink is providing. So there are some, let's say, isotonic beverages, which is where you will have normally, uh, that's where you have normally Gatorade, Powerade there. Uh, um, by the way, I should have said disclaimer, I'm not affiliated to any brand. So yeah. I usually the, what I suggest is the brand that the athlete finds the most comfortable. Yeah, I do, especially if, if I get an athlete who is like, look, I have tried several and I still haven't found the one I'm comfortable. And when they describe what they are looking at, I'm getting good at saying like, I think this brand will be helpful for you because of this uh, flavors, circumstances, budget. That's important as well. Like that, that's a huge factor, especially now with like the brands, the budget can change drastically depending on what you're looking at. Yeah. So uh, if I were to mention the ones that my athletes usually are comfortable with, I would say Tailwind for sure, Trail Brew. That's another one that people enjoy a lot. Uh, and Infinite Nutrition is another one that is also uh, that I, the reason I like that one a lot is because it is possible to sort of personalize it to the athletes' needs. So we can increase the sodium or we can increase the carbs or the flavor. So that's really helpful. Um, and Morten, that's one that. For the sports drink, yes, but also for energy gels is also very good. Yeah. But seriously, there's there's so many out there. I feel like it's best to to try. And if you are comfortable with that brand, it doesn't matter if the person is standing next to you is saying, like, oh, you should try this other one. It's marvelous. And if you're already if you already found the one, let's say, maybe there's not need to to go out of your way trying it. Yeah, potentially include it in one of your training sessions just to see whether there's another option that you can consider. Uh, but but yeah, I would say more than the brand is about how you are using it. So uh, I know that there's a particular brand that is very popular because apparently it uh, doesn't cause any stomach upset. And I know athletes who still will get the stomach upset from consuming it. And it's not the brand, it's how much they're getting, what other things they are having with it, at which rate of like intensity they are racing. That's when we need to look at those things before saying, oh, this is the one. It's more about, yeah, how you're consuming it that is going to make the biggest difference. Yeah. Um, I noticed on your Instagram page that you actually have a, an idea for people who want to make their own energy drink. With yes. Yeah. So yeah, I recently shared that. 
Yeah. So, so can you just remind me what's in what's in that? So it's uh, without having the exact exact quantities. It's essentially sugar, salt, lemon, or orange juice and yeah. water. I believe those were all the ingredients. Yeah. And my advice in using those ones, it's probably better for training, let's say, or yeah. when the budget is, is a huge concern. Like it's possible, essentially, what a sports drink is giving us are those things. It's carbohydrate, it's electrolytes, it's fluid. So yeah. with what I mentioned, those ingredients, we can create it. The difference between going with this mix and a sports drink is changes a lot in like in terms of uh uh, convenience. So the sports drink is already there. It's prepared. It's at the right ratio. It's it's even. It's not something that at the end of my run is going to be like all uh, sink sunk at the bottom of it because it didn't mix well. So that's when it's nice. But if if this is this preparation, let's say, works for you, then that's another option as well. Yeah. Now, there's also um, so there's endurance fuels, but there's also recovery mixes that you can get. Mm. Would it be a good idea to have a recovery mix like during a backyard ultra as well, like maybe after 12 or 24 hours just to get some protein in there? Or would you say wait till the end? Oh, so the recovery mix, usually what they are including is the predominant thing is that it has protein. Then yeah. they add other things such as like elements that are supportive of muscle recovery, but don't necessarily have huge evidence, like some electrolytes or other uh, like minerals there. But the biggest thing that is the difference between this recovery mix and a normal sports or energy mix is that this one will have protein and potentially carbohydrate that a lower concentration, but still will be present. So I think that it's an, a convenient way of using it as part of an, a backyard strategy where, let's say, the time or will to eat the egg versus drinking this thing that has the same amount of protein is there, then perhaps going for that drink is a good idea. Now, mm -hmm. I wouldn't say you need to wait 10 to 12 hours to consume it. It's something that because once we look at how much protein it has, how much carbohydrate, we can distribute it in a different way. We can say like maybe every four hours we have this thing, depending on how much protein we're actually getting from it. Or it can be like every four, four hours, that's when we have the eggs or that's when we have this other uh, food that is also high in protein. Uh, now, waiting till the end or for any, let's say, training run, that's something that it's once again convenient for example if uh, let's say in training you are finishing your run and then you're heading straight to work you don't have a chance to have breakfast or anything like that well definitely having that recovery drink is going to be super helpful because at least you're getting something yeah. uh, but it's not any better than if you actually had the time and stop home and had a breakfast potentially even the breakfast will be even better than that for a backyard same I think because, and I think you mentioned that you struggle to eat after a run. A lot of people have that issue. So if the recovery drink is something that at least the athlete can be seeping slowly and starting to recover after this super strenuous event, that's a good idea. But if the athlete finishes and is like, I just want chips, please go for it because I'm just happy for the athlete to eat whatever they feel like. Because at that stage, especially when it's going to be a struggle to eat, if the athlete or if their instinct is telling them to eat, a particular thing, I will trust it. Yeah. In the longer term, that's when we focus on like in the next 24 hours, making sure that the athlete is getting more protein somehow. 
but in the immediate end of, uh, after they finish as much as the evidence shows that it's important that they eat if it's a struggle and then also the athlete like just fell asleep straight away I wouldn't wake them up just to be like, oh, here's your protein. It's like, well, they're already asleep. Let's make sure that they eat once they wake up and that's it. Yeah, yeah, sounds good. Um, <clears throat> so, oh, the, the other question, I'll read them anyway. You've kind of answered them during our discussion anyway. But, All right. Um, so someone's asked what to eat when you don't want to eat. Mm. <laughs> so in that one is that this day instinct, trusting the instinct. Like I know sometimes here you are limited by the options you have in front of you but if let's say whatever you have in front of you there's one that is like at least the one that looks less worse go with that one but definitely especially and that's why and I know I make a lot of emphasis on this but like seriously having a strategy or a plan it's yeah. helpful because then you are aware of like oh actually it is okay for me to not eat right now because I know that I I've been eating well throughout this period so I can skip this intake let's say and try again next time but yeah. if you are getting to the point where you are not eating and you are still going then i don't want to say force it but if there's an option there that is like oh i think this one wouldn't be as terrible as the other six look let's try that one and that's when for some people fruit often it's a good one like that's something that they find easy to eat so yeah eating the fruit even though fruit can easily I, for example for that question where it's like what else can i have if i don't have a crew fruit is another one that is easy to have uh, yeah. as part of these options yeah watermelon is one of my favorites mm. that's yeah. what a lot of people say as well and bananas for some people uh, not everybody but yeah bananas also help. yeah um any tips on how to store food when it's hot mm. so this is actually one that my uh client jody suggested and i like as since then i'll be like oh that's a really good one so essentially the way uh she did it or put the the, the thing was like first froze it and, and then like wrap it in three towels and then put it like in with ice blocks around it especially when it's very hot yeah. even even though the the thing was frozen before she put it in there it was already cool by the time she got at it like it was not always still it's hard that's like frozen yeah. so that one was a really good one like definitely wrapping it in the tea towel and then still having the ice blocks around it yeah. that's great now this is me assuming that once again this is a backyard or an event where you are getting to your uh your back at some stage not necessarily that you're carrying it because that could if you can imagine like carrying the ice blocks and everything else <laughs> with you just so you can keep your chocolate nice and cool probably not <laughs> the best thing um so what what I was going to say as well with the um the idea that you had I actually when I take an esky with me I'll fill it up with a few um bottles of water that I've frozen overnight mm. and that way I don't have to worry about the ice melting in the esky because the it's like they're like big ice blocks anyway the frozen bottles of water and that worked pretty well oh yeah that's a great idea yeah that's a really good one as well and mm -hmm. saying like for example even if you think of like you're eventually going to drink that water yeah. that's like also helpful so yeah. that's really good yeah um whole foods or bars so it's <laughs> you'll see that a lot of my answers here are it depends yeah that that the it depends is in you know, personal preference it depends on how long we're going for it depends on how much you're planning to eat so mm. for someone who is a stay a staying in a let's say normal 
intake, which is usually 60 grams of carbohydrate or less, whole foods are a good idea because it's something that is uh, tastes nice. It's, it's adding variety because it's easier to get different flavors and things. So they are helpful. But if we're, if we're aiming for higher intake, if we want to get the same amount of energy from whole foods, we need to increase the quantity. And as part of that, sometimes it increases the fiber, increases the fat, and also the carbohydrate at which like the ratio that we're consuming can change in a way that it's harder to absorb it. So that's when the bar is a good idea. Now, there are people who are actually happy with the bar, even if they are not going for high amounts, and that's because it's convenient. So normally, I we use a mix of things is we don't stick to a single thing or it's like, oh, whether you're like you're eating whole foods or you are not or like if you're having a gel, that's it. Because I know that now there's this school of thought of like sort of like staying away from a single energy gel or bar or even a sports drink. It's like, oh, no, no, I need to use whole foods and clean food. It's like actually in this situation, whatever works for the person is the best thing. And with energy gels, sports drinks, sport bars, they are very convenient. They are very high in energy. They are easy to, it's easier to, let's say if the athlete decides that they want to eat during the run or the lap, it's easier to grab a bar and just have it in your hand and be uh, chewing on it than grabbing a container with rice and try to be running and eating the rice at the same time. So it, it that's why it depends. There are so many elements that are part of it. Yeah. And I would say that if you're someone comfortable with the whole foods and you don't experience any got upset, then that's, that works well. Mm, very good. Um, so how can listeners find you, like um, on your website and Instagram and things like that? Yeah, all of them. So my website is intensefit.com. Uh, in that website, you can find a link to a scorecard. That is something that I have available for free if people want more, let's say, personalized advice is a, a quiz that you answer several questions and based on your responses, you get uh, suggestions on how to change your intake. It's not backyard focused, but it's definitely endurance athlete focused and it evaluates in different areas of what I believe is critical for an athlete to consider as part of their nutrition as mm-hmm. a whole. So that's there in the website. On my Instagram, uh, very active there, same with Facebook. So it's at IntensitFit. Very happy for people to connect there with me if they want to flick me a message. I'm actually putting a workshop together for a specific, specifically for backyard races. So in the workshop, I'm going to walk people through how to set their nutrition for these events. So if you, if someone listening is interested, just flick me a message either through Instagram or through my email, which is Gabby at intensitefit.com. I hope you can put it in the show notes so people know how to spell it. Um, And yeah, like happy for people to just reach out. Always, always happy to have a chat. Yeah, great. Well, look, thanks so much for coming on, Gabby. I reckon that there's so much good information that you've given us. And I I reckon every single person who listens to this will get at least something out of it for 100% sure. So um yeah thanks oh, that's great to hear yeah thanks so uh, much. no thanks Dave. No i worries. hope you continue to enjoy the nice weather and yeah thanks yeah. for the invite yeah no worries well um enjoy the rest of your day oh thank you you too i'll see yeah. you later yeah sounds good thanks bye bye if you've enjoyed this podcast it would be awesome if you could share comment like subscribe 
all of that. If you've got any feedback, shoot me a message. Hope you have a great day. See ya.